Let us pray. God of mercy, you promised never to break your covenant with us. Amid all the changing words of our generation, speak your eternal word that does not change. Enable us to respond to your gracious promises with faithful and obedient lives. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, amen. Our first reading this morning is from Psalm 150. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his acts of power. Praise him for his surpassing greatness. Praise him with the sounding of the trumpet or trombone. Praise him with the harp and the lyre. Praise him with tambourine and dancing. Praise him with the strings and the flute. Praise him with the clash of cymbals. Praise him with resounding cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Our second reading this morning is from Revelation chapter 1, verses 4 through 8. John, to the seven churches in the province of Asia. Grace and peace to you from whom he is, and who was, and who is to come, and from the seven spirits before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood, and has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father. To him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Look, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the peoples of the earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was, and who is to come, the Almighty. This is the word of the Lord. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of each of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. I was not going to talk about Doubting Thomas today. Uh, you will see in the bulletin that John 20, 19 through 31 is not there. The second Sunday of Easter is sometimes referred to by pastors as Associate Sunday or Associate Pastor Sunday because it's when the heads of staff at larger churches let the associates preach because they're tired of preaching after Holy Week. It's also sometimes referred to as Doubting Thomas Sunday, and most clergy will know that you mean the second Sunday of Easter if you say Doubting Thomas Sunday, because every year there he is again, Doubting Thomas, every year. And I wasn't going to preach about him yet again, but I couldn't get him to go away this week for some reason. I wanted to stick to the revelation thread in the lectionary for the next few weeks, but doubting Thomas would not go away. Everywhere I went, there was someone talking about silly old Thomas again. 
So let me share with you one more scripture passage this morning. John 20, 19 through 31. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. How would you like to have history peg you with a nickname like Doubting Thomas? Of all the legacies to be granted, what a stinker. John gets to be the beloved disciple. Even though he and his brother James jockeyed for the prime position seated next to Jesus in heaven. We don't call him brown-nosing John. Peter is St. Peter the Great Apostle. Some stories even make him the gatekeeper of heaven. He's held in such high regard. The Roman Catholic Church sees Peter as the very first pope. The very same guy who sank in the water because he looked away from Jesus, who cut off a servant's ear on the night of Jesus' arrest, who denied knowing Jesus not once but three times when stuff got dangerous. But we don't call him sinking Peter or angry Peter or face-saving Peter. Poor Thomas, in spite of all the foibles of all the other disciples that surely overshadow this little bit of doubt, the only thing Thomas is known for is this moment. Jesus has risen. All of the people in the room have seen it. The rest of the disciples have seen Jesus face to face after the resurrection, and Thomas just says, nope, not going to believe it. I was not there. I cannot confirm this. And it's not until Thomas has been approached by Jesus and allowed to touch the wounds in his hands and feet and side that he's able to say, whoa, this is for real. Jesus is risen. And for the rest of time, he's been known as doubting Thomas, not converted Thomas, not reasonable Thomas or Thomas who just needed a little nudge in the right direction. Is this story really about his doubt, though? The word doubt isn't anywhere in this story. It's not used in the language of this narrative. He just wasn't there the first time when Jesus appeared to the other disciples. He simply hasn't been in on the encounter yet. 
He didn't see Jesus and then say, nope. He just didn't see Jesus yet. As we can see all these centuries later, there are certainly those who have not seen Jesus in the flesh who have believed. I'm assuming none of us have had a physical encounter with the risen Lord Jesus this 2,000 years after that first encounter. But even now, there are some who simply haven't experienced a conversation with Jesus Christ yet. And we have no way of knowing which are which, for the record. Those of us who say we believe do so not because we were convinced by logical arguments or a really great preacher, much to the dismay of really great preachers. It's because something happened that can only be explained as being God. It's not that the others, the Thomases, you could call them, are stubborn or less intelligent or prone to doubt more than others. It's not that they aren't good people. It's not even that they are natural doubters. They haven't been in the locked room with the other disciples yet. And even for those of us who might be able to say we know what it feels like, to be in the locked upper room having a conversation with Jesus, there are still times in which somehow we miss the full experience, even though all those around us seem to have gotten the point. And this can be especially true this time of year. We have celebrated Easter, or if you want to look at the church calendar, we have begun the celebration of Easter. We still have weeks of Easter left, my friends. And this is a good and joyful celebration of new life and the redemption of creation. Everything is different now, right? Right? We spend all this time ramping up for the time when the muck and the desert and the sin that we're longing for freedom from during Lent will be crushed and destroyed. But then we turn around and go home and before the Easter ham has cooled, an argument breaks out at the dessert table or we turn on the news to see another tragedy or we suddenly realize how much work is waiting to greet us on Monday morning. Paul Tillich says in regards to Easter that year after year, the longed for perfection of life does not appear when the old compulsions reign within us as they have for decades, when despair destroys all joy and courage. Sometimes it's difficult to feel like we can really be in on Easter. Even when we've heard the story, even when we've celebrated the holiday, and yet we tend to give the doubting Thomases in life a hard time for not believing, even though they just weren't in the locked room. Now, the gospel reading doesn't tell us exactly where Thomas was the first time Jesus came to the disciples in the locked room. It also doesn't make a judgment about his failure to be there. It's not a moral statement about Thomas's character that he wasn't there the first time. It's simply a statement of fact. He wasn't there. Maybe he had to work that day. Maybe he had a family commitment it's possible he was so overwhelmed with grief that he couldn't face his friends yet that first night. The good news for our friend Reasonable Thomas is that even though he was out doing something else the night Jesus first showed up in a locked room to the rest of the disciples, he was there the second time. And after one conversation with Jesus, one moment in which he was able to talk with Jesus in exactly the way he needed to, to assure him that the other disciples were not just a bunch of kooks, 
he converted. The other disciples didn't do anything special to get Thomas there either. We don't have a record of them arguing with Thomas when he said, I need hard evidence. We don't see them getting angry with him for not believing what they were telling him. They simply invite him to dinner again eight days later, and this time he comes. The other disciples, having been in the locked room the first night, trust that Jesus is good on his word and that he will show up. No tricks, no gimmicks, just trust in Jesus. And Jesus shows up. And doubting Thomas becomes converted Thomas, reasonable Thomas, who just needed a little nudge in the right direction. And we also need to remember that Thomas isn't the only disciple in the story, which means he's not the only sinner in the story. What were the other disciples doing when Jesus showed up? You would think that they'd be out proclaiming the news of the risen Lord Jesus to anyone who would lend them an ear, but no, they were hiding in a safe, locked room. Nobody in, nobody out. Hiding. How on earth is the world supposed to know that Jesus is risen if the disciples are locking themselves away? Thomas's unbelief in the resurrected Jesus, who he had not been personally confronted with yet, is no worse than the unbelief of the disciples who did not trust God to protect them. It's no worse than the disciples shutting themselves up rather than proclaiming the light to those living in darkness. Those of us who have seen Jesus, not as literally as the disciples in the locked room, but have seen him nonetheless, have encountered him, have had conversations with God, we have a duty. We have a duty to testify to what we have seen. It's not our duty to convince anyone of anything, though. It's our duty to bear witness, trusting that Jesus will show up and give those who weren't in the locked room exactly the experience they need. This doesn't mean we remain in our locked rooms and just wait for Thomas to get his act together. The disciples were meeting with the doors locked for fear of what would happen if they fully leapt into the Easter experience. The disciples who had seen, the disciples who had believed, they were locking out the rest of the world. The only reason Thomas had a chance to be in that room with them that second night was because he was familiar to them. He was already one of them in some way. We are certainly supposed to invite in the Thomases in our lives, the people in our comfort zone who haven't had that close encounter yet. And we're supposed to give them some slack because, after all, we are all a mess in some way. and We have all been a Thomas at some point, even if that was a long time ago. But we're also not supposed to stay locked up in that safe room, waiting for a few safe people to finish with their errands or their grief or whatever is preventing them from coming in. We are to welcome them in. We are to unlock our doors so that the world can, or the word can spread to those outside of our immediate circle as well. When we choose not to sit around in our safe places, feeling slightly let down about Easter being over, we unlock that door. We live into the resurrection by proclaiming what we've seen to others, not so that we're proven right, but so that in our testifying to others, Jesus can show up. That's what John is doing in writing his revelation, the vision that God gave him. Revelation is probably the most misunderstood and misused book in the entire 
Bible. You get anything from total confusion and avoidance to taking it really super literally and looking all around you for signs of the end times in the world today. But neither of those were the original intention of the author. The book of Revelation is about where heaven meets earth. That's why it is in the lectionary this time of year during Easter. It's a testimony to John's encounter with God in a dream. The book of Revelation is not a future-telling prophecy. It is prophetic, but it is prophetic in the ways that the Hebrew prophets of Jewish scripture were prophetic. Listen to God or else prophetic. It is a revelation of where heaven meets earth, where God is at work. We are called to follow John's lead, to give witness to where heaven meets earth. Where have we encountered Jesus? How can we help to create space for others? To encounter Jesus. So let's pull this all back together. Doubting Thomas, not a bad guy, just a terrible nickname. He just wasn't there to encounter the risen Jesus the first time. And there are plenty of people who, like Thomas, have not encountered the risen Lord in their everyday lives. So we have to stop locking our doors. We're off to a great start. I encourage you with that. I have plenty of photographic evidence of the things we're doing to invite people into our church community lately and to open up space for God to move in. Motorcycles sitting in front of the church on Highland Avenue. People working out in the fellowship hall at St. Andrews. So let's keep looking for new ways to throw the doors wide open, literally and figuratively. We're looking for help with our children's church program. You can help open up space for kids to encounter Jesus. Bible study starts back up this week, and we're studying mission and outreach. Ways to open up space for God to move in, for people to encounter Jesus. We're looking for new ways to invite the community into our space. Who do you know that needs a partner with a big old building to fill up? We've gone out on some limbs and we've done some weird stuff like motorcycle blessings and fitness classes. Who do you know that you can invite to some of those weird things we're doing? What other weird and fun and interesting things can you think of that can connect us to the community on the other side of our doors? All of these things are opening up space in which we're given the opportunity to watch heaven meet earth. They don't always look like spiritual stuff, and that's okay. Neither do potlucks and other more traditional fellowship events. So finally, here's your homework for this week, my dear ones. Invite someone into the upper room. They might not come, and that's okay. Invite them anyway. And don't just invite the same people who've been turning you down forever, just for the record. And don't just invite people who go to another church. And don't just invite people in your comfort zone, people who already look like the other disciples. Ask someone to come to lunch with the pastor on Thursday and just hang out with some church people. Or ask someone to come with you to fitness class tomorrow morning. Or invite someone in by suggesting more ways that we can open up the doors and create that space. Help us create more opportunities to encounter the risen Lord. Let's let everyone around us know that the Alpha and Omega, the one who is and was and who is to come, the Almighty, Jesus Christ, 
is risen and is alive and active today. My dear ones, he is risen. He is risen indeed. Amen.